and welcome to Twice Exceptional, Teens Exploring and Living with Neurodiversity. My name is Kate, and I'm the host of this educational podcast. I'm currently 18 years old, and I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 10. Additionally, I was tested for giftedness as a child, making me twice exceptional. I started this podcast because living with ADHD can be difficult, and I wanted to find a way to reach people and share some information about neurodiversity from someone who is currently dealing with it in their everyday life. Not only am I neurodiverse, but my brother is also neurodiverse, meaning I have seen how symptoms can be portrayed differently in different people. In this podcast, I discuss my own experiences, interview others on their experiences, and share research on neurodiversity. In this episode, I spoke to Julie, who has written a book called Gifted and Distractible, which you can find online. And she talks about having twice exceptional kids herself and teaching adults that are twice exceptional through both her book and her online educational class. Please enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for joining me, Julie. Would you please introduce yourself? Sure, my pleasure. I'm Julie Skolnick. I'm the founder of With Understanding Comes Calm, which is a service through which I guide parents of what I call gifted and distractible children. I mentor 2E adults or twice exceptional adults, which is the same as gifted and distractible. I train teachers and work with clinicians and 2E service providers all to help bring out the best and raise self-confidence in 2E humans. I'm also the author of Gifted and Distractable, a book that was published October 17th, 2023. And I'm the host of The Haystack, which is a membership for 2E adults. That's very cool. So how would you define 2E for people that might not know what it is? Yeah, so just like I said, gifted and distractible, that's sort of my, I cast my net widely Mm -hmm. uh, so that people understand, but really twice exceptional is somebody who's identified as gifted with a learning difference or learning differences. And that can include anything from autism, ADHD, visual processing challenges, social emotional challenges, anxiety, processing speed. There's a lot that can fall under the moniker of distractible or that second exceptionality. And then there's giftedness along with it. And to be truthful, Kate, it's usually gifted that people don't understand more so than the distractible part. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, So I was wondering if you could explain how you kind of found this interest or like your organizations and books and stuff, like what kind of inspired you to do all of that? Yeah. So thanks for asking that. So I actually have a master's in sociology. So I love to identify and observe patterns in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have a law degree. So I have always been an advocate and worked as an advocate. And I parent three awesome, twice exceptional kids. So sort of that mixture together and my work in advocacy on behalf of my own kids led me to realize I could really help parents um, to move the needle forward for their kids. And that's really where I started. I was originally working um, and my original tagline was supporting parents of gifted and distractible kids. And then it kind of grew from there because adults started reaching out and teachers started reaching out. So that's kind of what my inspiration was. That's really cool. And so then you were saying that the gifted part is more difficult to understand sometimes. So how would you like describe 
some of the differences that gifted people might experience? Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, most people, I like to say, you know, if we were on the Family Feud um, game show and we surveyed the audience, what would be the number one answer of what gifted means? And most people would say smart. That would probably be the studio number one answer. Mm -hmm. And that is a part of gifted, but it's a small part of gifted. The internal life of a gifted person is so much more than this smart, bright, um, all of those those words that we use that we think of as gifted. And so as I describe in my book, Gifted and Distractible, I've created the three layer cake of giftedness and the frosting of this three layer cake. That's the smart, bright piece that people assume gifted is. And it's a thin layer. It's above, around and between. Uh, it's a thin layer of frosting that's above, around and between all the layers. And then you have these three layers of three characteristics. And the way that I look at giftedness is, of course, with that smart, bright, the positive sort of ideas that people have on that intellectual bell curve. But then we have to consider the asynchronous development, how we develop in a different rate, our physical abilities, our intellectual abilities, our social emotional abilities. There, there can be a real disconnect there or a different rate of growth, strengths and struggles. And then perfectionism, the other side of which can be anxiety, and then intensities or what's known in gifted parlance as overexcitabilities. So that's really kind of in a nutshell. And I mean, I give whole talks on this. So, yeah. you know, I could talk a lot about giftedness, mm -hmm. but there's the nutshell for you. <laughs> okay. And so twice exceptional kids are a mix of gifted and they have a learning disability. So what challenges might they face that are not faced by someone who just has one or the other? So... First of all, we don't outgrow our giftedness or our 2E-ness. So whenever we mm -hmm. talk about 2E or twice exceptionality, it also applies to adults. Yes. Um, and so what happens is really the asynchrony that I that I described briefly, um, that first layer of the layer cake often causes most of the havoc because people will say they have, they have either too high expectations based on what they think giftedness means or too low expectations based on learning differences. So we see a lot of boredom, boredom in our gifted people, whether you're a student at school or a adult at work, we see a lot of boredom. We see a lot of um, discontent not fulfillment in your social life or your academic or work life. Um, there's such a deep existential consideration that gifted people tend to notice about the world that if people don't know to address that, it can really negatively affect somebody. So everything that happens in the world happens in a bigger, more intense way. And if expectations are skewed or the gifted person has internalized inappropriate expectations, there's going to be anxiety. There's going to be disappointment. Why can you do this? But you can't do that. That type of attitude, which is very negative um, and causes a negative self-affect for the gifted and or twice exceptional person. Do you have any advice on how to like lessen that negativity? Yeah. So so many of my gifted and two-e adults talk about masking, that they mm -hmm. kind of echolocate like a bat. I'm going to look at what all the neurotypical people around me or the people I think are neurotypical or the people I think are succeeding. Huh. I'm going to assume they're all succeeding and that I'm failing and I'm going to try to be more like them. 
when in fact, nobody's really secure walking around on this planet. And the most important thing is to really be self-aware of who you are, what matters to you, and be ready to do a cost-benefit analysis. If you hate small talk, but you really want friends, and you go to a party, and people are small talking it up, you get to decide, you know what, I, I freaking hate small talk more than I want friends, so I'm not actually going to engage. Or, uh, I really want friends, so I'm going to small talk a little bit, see if I can find somebody who also likes to go deep like I do, right? So it's this self-awareness, and we really have to give ourselves grace. The truth of the matter is, Kate, when you leave the room, you're still with you, so you might as well like yourself, because <laughs> you're with you most of the time, all of the time. Yeah. Okay. So from my experience, at least, it can be harder to get diagnosed as twice exceptional because usually I feel like one or the other kind of presents itself and it makes it more difficult to get the other. Is there any advice on how you might be able to like get through that? Like for me, example, since I was gifted very young it took my parents a long time to figure out that I had ADHD as well so yeah so the the real trick is actually finding a, an evaluator and it's not easy but it's easier than it was maybe when you were evaluated who mm -hmm. actually has experience and knowledge about twice exceptionality it's very mm -hmm. important because they have to really look through this huge lens to understand both sides because they can cancel each other out, right? Like the gift can mask the challenge, the challenge can mask the gift. So the idea is to find what is known these days as neurodiverse affirming um, service providers, but really asking important questions. And in fact, there's an entire list of questions in my book, Gifted and Distractible, to ask clinicians um, to determine, are you experienced with 2E? What do you do differently with your 2E clients? You know, you start real general and if, you know, they're glazed over and they give some pat answer, you know, they're probably not the evaluator for you. That sounds like some good advice. So about your book, it recently came out-ish. And so I was wondering what type of feedback you've received from the book. Oh, well, thank you. We, so- it is really selling quite well. We've almost sold 4,000 copies in, since October 17th. So that's kind of awesome. Mm -hmm. um, the reviews are really amazing. Uh, certain grad schools are picking it up to use it as curriculum. Parents are loving it. Teachers are loving it. Psychologists are loving it. So we're really happy with the feedback that we're having. People are saying, you know, there's so many aha moments. I feel seen oh my God, I didn't know that I wasn't the only one. You know, all those mm -hmm. really great things that I that I like that I like to hear because that's why I wrote it. <laughs> I wrote it, Kate, so people would know they weren't alone and they had an idea of what to do, um, what strategies they could use. So the book has 200 pages of strategies and it really was my goal. I, I think I say in the introduction something about how when I used to go to conferences and it would, and I'd really be excited to get the information I needed. And then it would be like the last 10 minutes and the speaker would be like, oh my God, let me give you some strategies. And I was like, are you kidding? I've been waiting 40 minutes for strategies. And so I made a promise that 60% of any time I talk or my writing will be strategies. And that's exactly how the book turned out.
That's really cool. I can't wait to get a look at the book some more. But yeah, so you were kind of inspired to write it because you were looking for a way to like provide strategies for people and stuff. Yeah, so I started with Understanding Comes Calm about 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. ever since then, I have been trying to, as I like to say, shout from the rooftops about this incredible population. And, you know, little by little, my writing, my speaking, you know, I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. But then when I speak, I have 200 people in the room, 400 people in the room. When I write, I have, you know, whatever, 15,000 people on my list. So more and more people. So the book is giving me a bigger audience to reach more people. That's really cool. And so you mentioned that you're a parent of twice exceptional kids. So do you have any like big advice for parents who just realized they had a twice exceptional kid? Yeah, you know, just look for those strengths and positively reframe and behavior is communication. Those are sort of the top buzzwords, I would say, because our kids really want to succeed. They don't want to be thought of as difficult or annoying. They know that they're not meeting expectations. And so rather than punishing, bribing, cajoling, the book really talks about how to develop a relationship with your child and how to really help your child actualize by giving over the responsibility of themselves to themselves in lots of different ways and starting from a very young age. My next question was going to be, what advice do you have for like teenagers and adults that kind of are more in control of what they're doing on their own? Yeah. So it's a little bit of what we talked about before. It's being self-aware. What matters to you? What matters? Mm -hmm. uh, more than looking around at what other people are doing or internalize. It's, it's important for us to try to meet some societal norms because we have goals, perhaps education goals, perhaps career goals, um, perhaps personal relationship goals, right? So we do have to balance a little bit of what societal norms are, but there are neurodiverse people in the world and finding them. It's why I started the haystack, right? The haystack is for all the two E adult needles out there and to find themselves in the haystack. And time and again, my members in the haystack talk about how special it is to be with other neurodiverse humans. And so it's trying to find people who have similar interests as you do, have similar outlooks as you do. So as you're navigating the world and you're trying to find friends and you're so frustrated because really the conversations are just so not what you want with the people you're finding yourself hanging out with. So you need to start to do activities that you love, whether it's going to a game store to do D&D &D or other kinds of games, or it's art or music or alternative, whatever, spending time in those passion areas will lead you to other people who are spending time in passion areas. And so you already have sort of a Venn diagram where you're overlapping with each other. Even for our 2E introverts, it's important to do that. Yeah. So what is your opinion on like how the internet and social media have kind of changed the... I don't know how to describe it, but like how like people find each other and how people get diagnosed and stuff like that in terms of twice exceptional people. 
Well, I certainly wouldn't rely on anything on the internet for diagnoses. That's for sure. Um, So it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's opened up a whole world where people can, you know, find other people who seemingly have similar interests. But my worry, Kate, and I really love that you asked this question. My worry is the echo chamber we find Mm -hmm. ourselves in. That we really only look to be with people who say things we agree with we don't really know how to have discourse anymore it feels like um people are either with me or against me i'm gonna cancel them or i'm gonna include them there's really not a whole lot of gray area so on the one hand online can be really helpful particularly for 2e introverts uh, but i really caution people to think very intentionally about the percentage of time they spend online for their social outlets. I do really believe that in-person touch, seeing somebody in 3D is really important. Now, on the other hand, my membership is online. Yeah, I have a robust <laughs> social media presence, but I'm hoping people round that out with lots of other experiences because it, it can be toxic it can feel like it's fulfilling but at the end of the day you're talking to somebody you've never seen never touched never been in the room with and you we are humans and we need to be with people and we need to learn how to disagree respectfully that makes a lot of sense yeah I know that it can be a good and a bad thing but there's lots of different ways to kind of view that I guess and I feel like yours made a lot of sense So I had one more topic I wanted to talk about, which is I frequently talk about like differences in gender and how that kind of plays into the whole diagnosis process, but also just like how the symptoms portray themselves and stuff. What have you noticed through your experience in regards to that? So whenever you're on the end of a bell curve, which gifted and 2E are on an end of a bell curve, and gender fluidity is on an end of a bell curve, Mm -hmm. there's like a confluence. So we do see a significant number of people who are gender fluid or identify different in different ways or are are thinking about it and concerned about it. And so there are, there's a small number, but it's growing. Um, I've had them actually as guests in my membership group, researchers who are thinking about this very specifically vis-a-vis the gifted lens. Um, so PJ Cedillo, S-E-D-I-L-L-O, is one of those people, um, really wonderful articles that he's written. The National Association for Gifted Children has information on their website. Um, and so I would really recommend going there to read more about that topic through the lens of gifted. Okay. I was also talking about like the differences between males and females as well. Do you have any opinions oh. on that? <laughs> Both uh, yay, both apply, but yay me for being so not <laughs> binary. <laughs> um, wow, that's an interesting question. So, actually, what we we do see stereotypically with males and females is that males act out and females act in. So, what does that mean? Females are hiding or masking or not sharing how they feel, so they go internally, so they get missed. Um. And males, in general, act out. They're the behavior problems, in quotes. And so um, neither is okay. 
both need the same amount of attention to find out what is the communication that that behavior is trying to impart. Okay. So that's all the questions I have, but is there anything else you would like to share before we wrap up? Well, I appreciate that. I guess if people are interested in learning more, they can go to withunderstandingcomescalm.com. There's tons mm -hmm. of resources. I'm on podcasts every week, though I don't have my own podcast. I'm a frequent guest, so I put them all up on my site. I write a blog a month and have been doing so since 2014. Um, I, wrote, I do a vlog a month, and we have a free newsletter called Gifted and Distractible that I highly recommend um, taking a look at because if you subscribe, you'll find out all about... Uh, all about all the cool offerings that we that we provide. Um, and I guess my message really is that neurodiversity in general and twice exceptional twice exceptionality specifically are just a different way of being human. They're not bad, they're not wrong, they are different. And really best practices for twice exceptional humans, we know are best practices for all humans. So it's not even that you have to differentiate. It's that you just have to appreciate. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kate. Thank you again, Julie, for coming on to my podcast. If you would like to share your thoughts or story with me, feel free to reach out to me through email to twiceexceptionalpodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or TikTok at twice underscore exceptional podcast. Consider following the podcast on social media or sharing it to help others spread the word about the complexities of neurodiversity.